Welcome to Call Jeshurun, a podcast from Congregation B'nai Jeshurun, a vibrant and flourishing Reformed Jewish community in Short Hills, New Jersey. Welcome. I am Rabbi Matthew Gewertz. Call Jeshurun is where you can come to engage with teachings of relevant wisdom and music. You will hear from our clergy, staff, and guest speakers who will help bring meaning into a world that so badly needs it. If you would like to learn more about our congregation, please visit us at tbj.org. Welcome to everyone. I think you know me, Karen Perlman, one of the rabbis at TBJ. And we're here to have what I hope is going to be a really important conversation and one that's really going to help us figure out what we do with the next chapter of the pandemic. I feel like there have been a bunch of chapters. If we think about like the five stages of things, we sort of have had these different stages. For several weeks now, really months, I've thought about that um, as we seek to cure the pandemic, cure COVID-19, and thank God many of you have gotten the vaccine, I'm hearing that there are some emotional pieces and mental pieces, spiritual pieces that are going to remain. Because even when COVID goes away, we're going to have lived through this as a community, as individuals, as families. And um, like any big experience, whether that's in the world or, or individually, we're going to have to figure out what we do with some of the things that happened during COVID and what we take with us, what we have to let go, what we have to um, process. And so um, I really feel so lucky that I have two such great thought partners in this. We started the conversation earlier this week. And so I thought I would invite um, our two guests here who are obviously dear friends, family of the congregation, to share with us who they are and a little bit about what they do professionally. And then maybe to tell us what the pandemic has been like for you. Hi, so... So you know me as Debbie Evans, the social worker for the ECC, also a former parent at the ECC and Temple member. So that's the job I do mostly. But interestingly, during COVID, I have a second job. I was hired by a PR social media company to do counseling for their employees during the COVID crisis. So I've had an unbelievable experience of being able to talk to employees um, who work in social media and PR around their experiences during COVID. So it's been a lot of conversations with people of all ages, of all experiences all over the country, all over the world, actually, because it's a worldwide corporation. And um, so I do kind of crisis counseling with those folks as well. So it's been a very interesting um, professional uh, experience for me during COVID. Thanks, Debbie. We'll bring Jordan in here too. And Jordan Feingold, welcome back. It's great to be here. I am a an alum of the ECC at TVJ. You may know me as Mrs. Feingold's daughter. In addition to those roles, I am a medical student at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. I am just a few short months and no requirements away from graduation. And I will be starting my psychiatry residency at Mount Sinai in the fall. So I'm an aspiring psychiatrist and my background is in, even before medical school, I studied something called applied positive psychology, which is the science of well-being and human flourishing. And together, my medical education and that background in positive psychology have led to a major interest in and work in understanding the impact of the pandemic on 
on our whole population, particularly healthcare workers. So I've been spending the last several months developing surveys and analyzing data and talking and teaching lots of people to understand the psychological impact that this has been having on our healthcare workers and their families. So um, what do you think of the things that you've both seen sort of brought to the surface more easily during the last six, nine, now almost 12 months? I think you can't have a conversation about COVID without talking, using the word uncertainty, what begins every conversation. So what does uncertainty breed? Uncertainty breeds anxiety and uncertainty brings confusion. And then I think we talk about the the layers of things that happen because of that. When you are uncertain and you begin to get anxious, what happens? And I think that when we, we look at the context of our society and all that's been going on between COVID and isolation and uncertainty, I think that people have very different styles of managing that kind of anxiety. People have begun to, to either withdraw, feel anxious, feel confused, and then you know respond in different ways. So I think it has exacerbated those existing feelings and I, I don't want to get political, but I do feel like it's important to overlay in there that there's a political piece of this that has also been a part of what's happened in the past couple of years. And I was thinking today, like, can you separate these events? Can you separate what's COVID, what's political unrest, what's Black Lives Matter? I, I, I think when we look back in history in 25 years from now, I really wonder how the history books are going to separate these events and how people lived their lives and what, Im- what impact each of these events had on each other. I totally agree. I think that for me, the most obvious thing is the injustice and the inequality and inequity that exists in society, seeing who's been really most affected by this by the numbers and black and brown communities by far have have been hit the hardest. And I think that it's really a time of reckoning and I've experienced a total journey since the start of this, always being an advocate, but really now understanding that not being racist is not the same thing as being anti-racist. And how can I leverage my position as a leader and as a Jew to understand communities that are struggling and and use my position to to amplify voices and uplift those experiences. I think that's going to be a lifetime of work that this time has really uh, highlighted. Something that really, I think, affects everyone, no matter color, creed, is the isolation that that Debbie alluded to. And, And loneliness has been a problem for years. And Vivek Murthy, the former Surgeon General, who's about to hopefully be Surgeon General again under Biden, wrote a book on loneliness called Together. I guess the converse of loneliness, togetherness. And this was a pandemic going on before COVID that now with social or physical distancing measures and really staying safe for our own survival, I think a lot, it's really exacerbated the loneliness and isolation that people have been feeling. So I think inequity, isolation, and then of course uncertainty, which is the constant, just everyday guidelines feel, seem like they're changing. There's so much pressure on everyone to get things right and to make decisions when we there are no right or wrong answers here in this time. And I, I think that's a big challenge for people. You know, one thing I, I, I've always thought about is that 
a lot of us, are, we're not living necessarily on autopilot in sort of the negative way, but we, we know what to expect. And when, you know, certain times of year come, we know we go on vacation, we see certain people, we have time off we with our families. And, you know, COVID really kind of popped the bubble of, of whatever that was. And whether it was Passover, suddenly, oh, we're not going to have Passover together. Okay, now what? Um, we're not going to summer camp. It felt like you sort of have to in some ways, reevaluate if what's going on in your life or things you like, meaning, you know, someone I, uh, I spoke to a friend who said, you know, I love my kids, but I think I, I think I'm able to appreciate them more when I don't spend all day with them. I think our, our needing to readjust and constantly readjust to some new information and a new normal is really taxing. And like, no matter what we're talking about, we are have to overlay what that costs us in terms of our fatigue, our energy, our, you know, our ability to be hopeful. I think it, 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 it's a great cost. Building on that, when so many of these things feel like they're taken away from us, we, we can't do this vacation, we can't, you know, do this dinner. We lose a sense of what makes us feel like us and what brings us a sense of meaning and and control. It's, it's so hard to plan for the big things. It's so hard to plan for the little things where we assert our sense of control, which is so important for us as human beings to feel that we have some sense of agency over what's happening to us. We really have, that has to shift. And I think for many of us, it has shifted. So instead of focusing on these large goals and planning for, you know, six months from now, it's like, okay, how do I, how do I plan what I can do in the next hour? What am I cooking for dinner tonight? And really breaking down larger goals and long-term goals. And we have adapted. I think it's important to pause and say, it's amazing that we're this many months in and, and think of all the ways that we have adjusted and adapted. It's so important to reflect on that. And I don't know that many of us are. What are some of those adaptations? I remember being at a girlfriend's house in late February and she had gotten some email from someone who said, we're going to lock down for two weeks. I remember thinking like, this is the United States. Do you think you're going to get people to stay home? I, I, I go back to a year ago where that seemed unfathomable to me that people would listen and people would respect these rules of shutdown seemed incomprehensible to me. And the other day I'm walking my dogs and I saw this lovely young dad outside playing soccer with two young boys with their masks on. And I'm thinking to myself, God, we have, we have come so far. People have really changed their lives to keep safe. I, I think I agree with Jordan. I, I think as, as fatigued as we are, I also think that it's just unbelievable how much we have done to keep ourselves safe. I, I think it's remarkable. What's interesting is we human beings are very adaptable. We, for better or for worse, we adapt to the things that happen to us. There's a principle called hedonic adaptation that is very fundamental in positive psychology. And it basically says that any stimulus that is constant, so marriage, divorce, the death of a loved one, even these things that we think would either devastate us or bring us so much meaning and joy, having a child, we adapt to all of that. We go back to our baseline level of well-being or lack thereof or wherever we were. And it's really the intentional activities that help us move past that baseline of getting back to zero. 
this time has really put my positive psychology practices to the test. And how do I, how do I extract as much good out of this time as I possibly can? I've been really amazed to see the way that, um, that that adaptation really has pushed people maybe out of their comfort zones at first. And it'll be interesting to see what happens once we're able to be in person. What actually is going to change for us? What are we going to take from this time that we, we pull forward? I love that question. I love the question of what are the lessons learned that we take from that we really benefit from this? Because I think about, you know, especially at the ECC and so many young families and how busy our families are and how few family dinners there were because of how, you know, busy our families were and how much families appreciate the the time, right? I think of the adult families. Like I know so many people with grown adult children who came home and had months and months of living together and the appreciation of this found time. And what do you take from that? And what do you try to hold on to in this horrific thing that nobody would ask for? What are the blessings? What are the things that we take from that in a way that we learn from? And you know, in some ways, like what's the correction here? You know, if we think about life as being a pendulum and if Noah's Ark was a correction from something, was like, what's the correction here? Was there a meaning here to say like, slow down? I don't know. I just, I feel like that's a brilliant question, which is what can we hold on to? And I think a therapy for all these young children, not young children who need play therapy, but older children who mom can't be in six places at once. If she can put a child in front of a a zoom and talk to a therapist and now she can have that service like there are there are lots of things that we gain from this that i hope we hold on to one of those things which i really hope we can move the needle on is really destigmatizing this idea that it's okay not to be okay especially when it comes to mental health concerns i think as a nation there's such a hesitancy to seek help and admit that things are not okay. Even if like, okay, I may not be debilitated or suffering from clinical depression, but maybe I'm just a little anxious. Like, I think this time has really normalized. Everyone is suffering right now, no matter, you know, how well resourced you are. So I I hope this time can also normalize conversations around mental health and that, people are, are, are struggling now more perhaps than, than they had been before and, and how we can bring that into the, the public conversation and, and be vulnerable. I saw a great thing uh, this week about uh, a new word. Someone had coined pandemic fine. So once you say, how are you? Instead of saying fine, you say I'm pandemic fine, right? I, I got a job. I got food. Everything's fine. Someone said it's sort of like fog, right? You can drive, but it's, it's harder. You have to sort of work to pull yourself out. And if you, you know, if someone had a broken leg or needed stitches, we would never be embarrassed to say, go, go have your legs set, or, you know, we have to go to the doctor, but to say, I'm struggling, I think still has some stigma. And I I would love it if part of what we got out of this was an ability just to say, life is tough. And Mm -hmm. some of us have it easier than others, but it's okay to say that you're having a hard time. And no one's going to judge you or um, you're not going to not get the job, but that you're really going to be able to, um, to just hold that, that, that we're, we all go through these sorts of things. So I'll just, I'll throw something out here. And I, this is very, this is no research. This is just completely anecdotal, but I am so hopeful in terms of the way 
you know, millennials and younger have really, I think, embraced what you're saying, Jordan. And I, again, I work for a company with 1,700 employees and the invitation to use my services, which is free to them, 80%, I want to say 80% of the people who call are in their 20s. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, they have employees of all ages. Mm -hmm. People who use the service are young people. And I think it's not just because young people are suffering more. I think it's because young people understand that they can use the service, that it's okay Mm -hmm. to not okay. I mean, that's my hope. It's not research. I I don't want to pretend anything. But I do feel like the message has gotten out in the same way that the message has gotten out about a lot of things in terms of so many issues, social issues and injustice issues that our younger generation is getting the message in a way that some of our older generation didn't have the opportunity. It wasn't part of our upbringing and it is part of theirs. And I'm very hopeful about that. And and that's largely been because of our parents' generation and their parents making the conditions so that we didn't have to worry about a lot, you know, we could focus on our mental health. Our, our, so many of our basic needs were met that we could focus on those higher level thriving and flourishing and, you know, self-actualizing beyond just our survival. So let's um, shift gears for a second here because we talked about there's been so much positive. And when you talk to people who are in positive psychology, the positive always comes first. But one of the reasons this conversation really came forward is because of real challenges that the pandemic has exposed. And, um, you know, when people uh, don't have, people who are used to having control don't have control, there are sometimes ways in which there are really major challenges. So I want to just throw a few things out um, and we can pick up on where we want to, which is uh, one is about judgment, about judging each other. And social media is a, a really... Uh, very fertile ground for judgment because it really only shows that snapshot. And the other is shame, shaming ourselves, shaming others, um, and the sort of double edge of judgment and shame um, that somehow have really, um, I think many people in our world, in our community have have struggled with that. I think like most things that exist, exist in human life, but have a bit of a dark side, like judgment, anxiety, all of these things at one time in our evolution were adaptive to human survival. So when judgment comes into play, think about the way we evolved as human beings in small tribes where we really had to discern am I going to trust you? Do I, well, are you, or can you roll with us basically? Like, are you someone we want in this group to help care for our children? You know, people existed in intergenerational communities and really everyone in that group and their groups were no larger than 50 or so people really had to make sure that everyone in that group was absolutely committed to the well-being of the entire group and would chip in and, and play their role in that. And I think as we, the moment we find ourselves in, I think there are a lot of very real threats to our survival with this pandemic. And it is so easy to look at someone else's behaviors who is in our community and their behaviors might affect us and say, oh, that person doesn't play by the same rules. Did you see that person went out for dinner? They were they were indoor dining and, and my children play with that person's children. And is that a risk? So I think what was once evolutionarily very adaptive and still maybe because we have to consider, we have to be thinking about these things, 
But what I think we may be overly doing is jumping to examine the behaviors of others and and making snap judgments one before we know really what what the whole picture is i think we often are very quick to jump to conclusions to navigate large amounts of information that we have in our environment i, I think we're overusing our sense of judgment which could really be a strength and anything that we overuse can become maladaptive and end up really interfering with our relationships and our own sense of well-being on, on a day-to-day basis. Beautifully said. I mean, I think that that really captures so much of what we're, what we're experiencing. And I, and I think, you know, shame is a, is a social construct, right? So shame is, a, is something that happens between two people where one person evaluates the... Um, expectations of another. So we feel shame when we feel like we haven't met the expectations of another. So it comes from like a group think. And like a baby isn't capable of shame because they don't distinguish themselves from another. It only happens when you're in relationship with others. And I, I keep thinking that in that, in the, we as Americans, we are raised in, in our DNA is to be independent and think about ourselves. It is just the way we are raised. And I think that this disease, this virus, is asking us to think community first. And it is a growth process. I mean, that does not come naturally for us. It is a new way of thinking to say, not me first. Community has to be a part of that sentence. I mean, I've had a million conversations with parents or people who say, well, I've got to do what's best for me. I've got to do what's best for me. If I'm not my kid's advocate, who will be? If I don't look after me, who will? I mean, that is just the way we are raised. And it's an American value to take care of oneself. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can argue with that as being what we have been taught. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. However, now we are faced with this idea that what I do significantly impacts the rest of our community. So having to make that shift is just not easy. And so here's the expectation problem. I'm expecting that other people are making the shift at the exact same moment that I might be able to make that shift. And then shame comes into the picture. And once shame comes into the picture, how do you begin to operate? And I think when it comes to somebody's health and well-being, we're not talking about a couple of days of being out of work or school. We're talking about someone's someone dying. So the stakes are so high. So everything, the temperature just goes up so fast. So we're talking about core values, timing, and death. Like there's just, there's no, there's no room. So I think that these are the things that make it very complicated. And when we can step back a little bit and appreciate that, like, Yes, we all need to make decisions that are best for our families, but not in a vacuum. We have to make decisions that are best for our families that include our community, that include how does this impact our family? That sentence has to be a part of our thinking, and that's new. And not everybody gets there at the same time. So I think that extra piece is what's new for us, and it's just hard to get there. You know, Debbie, there's a a saying from a part of Jewish tradition that um, is called Pirkei Avot, the ethics of the ancestors. And it's Rabbi Hillel. um, And he says, he asks these two questions. One is, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? And the second question is, but if I am only for me, 
who am I? Hmm. And then the third question he asks is, um, if not now, when? And I think that uh, the way at least I was taught this is that these are actually like three corners of a triangle Hmm. that, you know, and we, and sometimes we're leaning more towards one than the other, but we know that, you know, we, we, we actually need all of it. And I would say that one of the things that feels really complicated is that in this time of isolation and loneliness, we need community more than ever. Jordan, you were talking about mental health and people saying, you know, well, it's important to do this thing for my mental health and sort of pitting the mental health against our physical health. And, you know, and every person having to make, um, I think, you know, decision fatigue. It's like, you know, at the, how many decisions that are potentially life and death do I make every single day? And I just am overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed with how many decisions and multiply that by the number of people in your family. If it's just you, great. But if you have, you know, two adults and three kids and two dogs, it's suddenly a lot of decisions to make every single day. That actually also is part of this, the sort of um, ongoing new information, synthesizing, decision-making, and and then no wonder we're all sort of feeling like we're under under it so much. Well, no decision is a decision, right? So you right. can't get out of it by saying, I won't make a decision, because that is a decision. So I, absolutely right. You know, the title of this talk is, is about compassion, and I think it's so important that if nothing else, we meet ourselves with compassion, and, you know, relationships are so important, and I, and most people don't consider the relationship that we have with ourself as a relationship. It's definitely not sufficient to fill that bucket in our lives that relationships is, are critical. But, but first beginning with ourselves and just acknowledging it is really hard to exist right now, to navigate this world, to make these decisions. And how do I, how do I treat myself with kindness as I'm going through this? And how do I maybe offer a little bit more kindness to the people around me, knowing that everyone else is also making these very difficult decisions. And even if I don't agree with the decisions you're making about how you conduct yourself today, can I offer a little bit of understanding and kindness to you rather than making a character judgment about you that, oh, like you just don't care about your community? Because I think that's a big leap from from some of the things we're observing to making these character assassinations about one another. But I think it starts with ourselves and bringing a little bit of kindness to ourselves and acknowledging it's really, really hard right now. And, and how do I just hold that? And it may not change anything, but it may help me feel a little bit better about whatever decision I make and a little less shame about the way that I, I decide to conduct myself because there are no right answers as we're saying. Wow. Um, I, you know, I guess I'll say that um, I think this has been a really clarifying time, like a distilling time. And if you've ever, um, I always have the imagery of going to Israel to the uh, archaeological dig and you, you know, dig all the dirt and you put it in these buckets and then you, you sift, you sift the dirt. And I do think this time has been clarifying, you know, the things that really matter. And, you know, that's a little bit cliche, but it's cliche because it's true, which is, you know, how do I want to spend my time? And, you know, there's a lot of things that I don't have to decide anymore because I'm not making those decisions. But once I can do anything, what am I going to do? And, you know, how do I like to spend my time? Who do I want to spend my time with? But I, I think it has been distilling and hopefully that will 
we won't all rush back to, you know, it's, we're not going back to normal. We're going to go back to the new normal or the new, new normal. And I think it'll be so interesting to, to see where we all land. And I'll, and I'll just, I'll just conclude by saying, you know, one of the things that's really brought, pulled so many of us through this time is being together. And so thank you for being here. Um, Debbie and Jordan, thank you for being part of this. Thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to this edition of Call Jeshurun. If you would like to learn more, visit our website at tbj.org and follow us on social media for updates on all our upcoming opportunities for engagement. We really hope to see you soon.